0: She's Tori. And
1: he's Nick.
0: And this is I Want to Rewatch.
1: In X Files Adjacent Podcast
0: The Night Stalker
1: Anniversary Edition.
0: So, way back in October of 2020, Tori co hosted on my other podcast, Jane Lazien. And we talked about the movie, The Night Stalker for our Halloween episode. Mm -hmm. And Tori and I had just started our X-Files podcast and we were kind of new at everything and not so great (laughs) at it. And we kind of maybe thought we wanted to revisit The Night Stalker. And so we decided to rewatch it now that we know what we're doing and we're super good at this. So. Yeah. Yeah. And. It turns out, I don't know how I missed this this year when we're doing the Patreon and we've got Kolchek, the Night Stalker and all this kind of stuff. But 2022 is both the 50th anniversary of the Night Stalker movie nice. as it came out in 1972. And then also on this day, May 7th, 1922, Darren McGavin was born. So today, May 7th, 2022, would be his 100th birthday. Nice. So we've got a double anniversary. We've got a 50th for the movie and a 100th birthday special for Darren McGavin. And I would just like to add a little quote that he gave to the New York Daily News before we get started. I think it kind of sums up. Uh, why I think he's fantastic. And I hope I don't cry (laughs) while I read this. So, (laughs) quote, in Kolchek, I saw a man with a dream like many others in this country today. A man beaten by the stock market, kicked down by his situation, fired from a job, dropped down below his point of acceptance in life and scrambling to get back up. I saw a man who was good in his business and proved he was good through the story he uncovered yet ended up a failure because he could not publish what he found out. To me, he was like the heroes of the 30s. Against all the sets of conditions he had to face, he was still able to stand up. That kind of guy is a good hero, I think. He is the kind we need now. We need some good affirmation of what American ideals are, and despite failure, we must survive. Survival, both in my profession and in life, is a significant word to me. It doesn't have to do with success per se, but with the continuation of work, with the resolution to go on, with the determination to keep the dream alive. By the dream, I mean the dream you want for yourself, where you set your sights in life, where you want to go. That's what I'm talking about. So,
1: Wow, that's really good. And it is, I feel like it's a great description of Kolchak, but he's right. There's a lot of people who probably... Especially now, even more so, who just feel that way with the economy and the way everything is, and how it's really hard to just have a career. Like, every you get fired, you lose your job. Everything seems so temporary, and it's really hard to like try and scramble back up. And Kolchek definitely keeps trying, keeps trying.
0: So happy 100th birthday, Darren McGavin. The world is literally and figuratively worse without you with us. So happy birthday.
1: Happy birthday.
0: And now, The Night Stalker. (laughs) Our special
1: presentation. The Night Stalker originally aired on Tuesday, January 11th, 1972 at 8.30 p.m. as the ABC Movie of the Week, slotted between The Mod Squad at 8 p.m. and Marcus Welby, M.D. at 10 p.m. From September 23rd, 1969 to May 14th, 1975, across six seasons, there were 254 ABC movies of the week. Oof. The Night Stalker was the 80th of these, and it was the 30th of season three. Wow! Yeah, it's a lot of movies of the week.
0: I also didn't realize it was actually—I mean, when you think about it, that's a short, like you talk about movies of the week all the time. It's actually a short span of time, like just six years, six seasons. So, yeah, it's like, it's still TV movies, but like the official ABC movie of the week was actually just a six-year thing. So.
1: And it's interesting that it aired in an hour and a half time slot. That means there weren't very many commercials.
0: Right. Yeah, it was. an hour. Yeah, they were all hour and a half things, which is uh, we can talk about that later. But yeah, it is something that will come up. Uh, Not so much on this one, but in the Night Strangler, there were some issues with that. So also we get another 50 in our numbers because it was the 80th ABC movie of the week and the 30th of season three because there were 50 in seasons one and two. So Mm -hmm. more numbers. (laughs)
1: <laughs> in it, newspaper reporter Carl Kolchek tries to convince the authorities in Las Vegas that a series of murders was committed by a vampire. A real vampire. Ooh. Yeah. The Night Stalker was written by Richard Matheson based on Jeff Rice's then unpublished novel, The Kolchek Papers, which was eventually published as both The Night Stalker and the Kolchek Papers. And the latter sometimes with the Night Strangler.
0: Yeah, that's the edition I have.
1: Okay, so it's like both.
0: Yeah, it has both in there, yeah.
1: That's cool. I
0: also have an audio version of the Night Stalker, but it, sadly it's not read by Darren McGavin.
1: Oh, I was going to ask. I was going to say that would be really no. cool if you read the audiobook.
0: Yeah. It would be cool if they had someone else read it, but then had him do the narration. But Ooh. it's also of the book too. And the book is different than the movie. So and we can talk a little bit about that at the end.
1: Yeah, I'm not surprised to hear that. That tends to be the case whenever there's any kind of adaptation. But yeah. It was directed by John Llewellyn Moxie and produced by Dan Curtis.
0: Yeah, Dan Curtis apparently really wanted to direct it. But I guess John Llewellyn Moxie was a more established like TV director at the time.
1: So Mm.
0: even though Dan Curtis was like doing all the Dark Shadow stuff cast includes darren mcgavin as carl kolchek carol linley as gail foster simon oakland as tony vincenzo ralph meeker as bernie jenkins claude akins as sheriff warren a butcher charles mcgraw as police chief ed masterson kent smith as district attorney tom Payne, elijah cook jr as mickey crawford stanley adams as fred hurley larry linville as dr robert McCurjee, Jordan Rose as Dr. John O'Brien, and Barry Atwater as Janos Skorzeny. The Night Stalker was filmed on location in lovely 1971 Las Vegas and some scenes on set at MGM Studios with a budget of $450,000, which is almost $3.2 million in 2022. It was approximately $2.1 million in 2020 when we recorded the original episode. For comparison, the pilot to The X-Files was shot in 1993 with a budget of $2 million, which is nearly $4 million today in 2020, and was $3.6 million in 2020 dollars. At the time, it was the highest rated original TV movie shown on U.S. television, earning a 33.2-48 rating share, which means 33.2 of all households with a television were watching, and roughly half of all viewers watching television we're watching The Night Stalker. Nice. It is estimated to have had sixty to seventy million viewers at a time when the entire U.S. population was barely over two hundred million.
1: Nice, a lot of people watching.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, not a lot of options at the time. Basically, three. Channels. True. <laughs>
1: so
0: you were either watching <laughs> one of three channels or you weren't watching.
1: Yeah, it's so, <laughs> very true.
0: Yeah. So we open, and Carl Kolchek is in what is probably a motel room or a small studio apartment. He looks a little rough and ragged, even for him. From a pile of cassette tapes on a table, he puts one into a tape recorder and hits play. The voice is his own. He pulls a beer from the fridge and lays on the bed, reading along in a manuscript as the tape plays. This is the story behind one of the greatest manhunts in history. Maybe you read about it, or rather, what they let you read about it probably a miter item buried somewhere in a back page. However, what happened in that city between May 16th and May 28th of this year was so incredible that to this day, the facts have been suppressed in a massive effort to save certain political careers from disaster and law enforcement officials from embarrassment. This will be the last time I'll ever discuss these events with anyone. So when you have finished this bizarre account, Judge for yourself its believability, and then try to tell yourself, wherever you may be, it couldn't happen here. Ooh. Sunday, May sixteenth, at approximately two thirty a.m., Cheryl Hughes was standing at the intersection of Casino Center and Fremont Streets, waiting for a girlfriend to give her a lift home. Cheryl Hughes was twenty-three, five feet five and one half inches tall, one hundred and eighteen pounds. Blonde hair, light brown eyes, swing shift change girl at the Gold Dust Saloon. Cheryl Hughes, tired and hungry, but just mad enough to walk the eight blocks to her small frame house off the corner of Ninth and Bridger. Cheryl Hughes, en route to her doom.
1: So we see Cheryl Hughes and she cuts through an alley. And she's grabbed by a man, and he holds her by the neck, and then he tosses her just across the alley, just like nothing. And her assailant kind of hisses as he approaches her, and then her body is found in the trash the next morning.
0: Ooh. And May 16th through 28th of this year, those dates match 1971, because we do get days of the week as well. And this makes sense if you're considering the movie as real since Kolchak is supposed to be relating a story that has already happened, and we Mm -hmm. are in January of 72, so.
1: And then we get what is sort of the point of view of Cheryl Hughes, although she is dead, and she's on an autopsy table, and we see three doctors standing over her body, and obviously, they're performing the autopsy. And we get the title here, that's The Night Stalker, copyright 1971, American Broadcasting Companies, Inc., all rights reserved. And so the doctors cut into her and they note the lack of blood. And one of them says there's no lividity marks, meaning there was no blood in her body to pool after death. There's no blood around her organs. There's no sign of blood. One of them, who we'll see again later, tells the others to get to work on the organs. Well, he goes to make a phone call.
0: And there's no music in this scene. So it's very, and like for a long time, they don't talk and you're like, Mm -hmm. "Um, is there audio? And then, so, yeah. Yeah.
1: And then we see Kolchak, and he's driving with Vegas in the background on what we'll learn is May 18th. And he has been called back 97 miles from the first vacation he's had in two and a half years. He assumes it must be a huge story, one that no one else could possibly handle. And he also gets in a dig about his editor, one Tony Vincenzo. Mm -hmm. And then he arrives at the offices of the Las Vegas Daily News. Once he's there, he argues with Vincenzo about why he was called back to cover some two-day-old third-rate murder case, because it doesn't seem like it's that special. And then he leaves. Mm-hmm. So after watching the Kolchak series, it's weird, because like I know this is obviously a different job that he had, but it's just like you're so used to him being in the TV newsroom, and then this one's totally different. And I was like, whoa, where is he? <laughs> it was weird. Yeah,
0: and then too, in this, he's all like, Kolchak, Daily News, instead of... INS INS,
1: yeah, yeah yeah
0: yeah so 97 miles from Las Vegas possibilities include where he might have been on vacation because I'm thinking I'm thinking he must have been where he was gonna be because like there weren't cell phones in so if they called him back they had to get a hold of him so he couldn't have right. been like en route so he must have been where he was gonna be although I don't know. I'm having trouble jiving this with what I found because of the possibilities I found. I mean, there's there's more than this list, but like I kind of picked the ones that weren't just like little podunk towns. Uh-huh. So and some of them still are because we've got Needles, California, we've got Death Valley, California. So we could have been going to the Death Valley, you know, National Monument. Seems like a weird place to go on your first vacation in, in two and a half years, but yeah. But St. George, Utah, another mm-hmm. Laughlin, Nevada. Or Golden Valley, Arizona. So I'm not sure. what.
1: Maybe he had some deal for like a really sweet motel room with a great pool or something. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, or maybe he was stopping and then was going to go somewhere else. And they just happened to catch him where he stopped. I don't know. So yeah, we don't know. It just seems weird because again, you couldn't reach him. Like, you know, he wouldn't have a cell phone. So how can you call him back? Don't know, unless he like left his itinerary in case something came up. That's a possibility, I guess. Maybe he was checking in, and then, but then, if you wanted vacation, I would assume you would not want to check in if you really wanted vacation. <laughs> so, it's true. It's true. I don't know. Yeah. Also of note, because since we're doing this after we've watched this before once, and then we've seen the entire series, the series we have the standard Kolchek blue seersucker suit, right, and the black tie. And so I made notes of what he's wearing in all his scenes in this movie. Oh, and nice. in this scene, when he comes into the newsroom, he is wearing a tan seersucker suit with a yellow mustard colored knit tie. He's always, nice. he's always got the knit tie. And then he's got the suits or at least a jacket and pants, but he's always got the knit tie. But we will look at some of the colors that he was wearing and see what we think. So Cool. And then that is also something that we can talk about at the end about Kolchak's appearance. And that kind of ties into what we talked about how the movie and the book are a little different. And we can get into that. So, okay. Yeah. So at the hospital, Kolchak talks to one Dr. O'Brien, who is one of his spies. And he's hoping to get information about the victim. O'Brien tells him the victim lost a lot of blood, but nothing unusual. Kolchak is annoyed that O'Brien has no good intel. And then Kolchak leaves. And if you've ever watched The Beverly Hillbillies, you will recognize the nurse who hands O'Brien a chart in this scene as Nancy Culp, who played Miss Jane Hathaway in 246 episodes of The Beverly Hillbillies from 1962 to 1971. Oh, wow. She's uncredited in this TV movie. She died in 1991, and Lily Tomlin played the character in the 1993 movie. So
1: huh. Cool.
0: Because when I was looking up her name, I knew her name. I was like, "That's Miss Hathaway," and then I typed in Miss Hathaway, Beverly Hillbillies, and it was all cast list for Beverly Hillbillies. And I typed it in, and it was actually for the movie. And I'm like, "Lily Tomlin, what?" And so I <laughs> go back and check.
1: I do love Lily Tomlin; she's great. You probably haven't seen Grace and Frankie, but that show's so good.
0: I have it's with not. With Jane no.
1: Fonda and Lily Tomlin and Sam Watterson and Martin Sheen, and it's just really,
0: really good. Oh, she will appear in the x-files later i though. know i know yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean when i think of lily tomlin i think of the incredible shrinking woman which okay is, that's fair you
1: know, i mean um, i know her from so many things like yeah, she was in a, a lot of stuff, stuff just yeah. grace and frankie is one of the more recent things she's been doing it's a netflix show it's yeah. run for like seven seasons or something i don't know it's good
0: so at the gold dust saloon where cheryl hughes worked kolchek is talking to gail foster one of cheryl hughes's co-workers And a close friend of his. And Gail has her head on Kolchak's shoulder. And he has his arm around her waist. And they're walking through the casino. And she says that Hughes never had any boyfriends. She dated a little. But didn't really seem to like men. And then she also says that Hughes took karate lessons. And she was a brown belt. Which makes it strange that a guy would get the drop on her.
1: right because she was practiced and good at protecting herself
0: yeah and then she sees someone who's like oh there he is i gotta go and she leaves so
1: yeah possibly a client of hers we don't know what she Mm -hmm. does we we have guesses but yeah i
0: i yeah i think we can i think we do know i think pretty much we yeah gail is a sex worker
1: so. Yeah. And the first time I watched this, I didn't really get that until the end when they're like, we you know, we want her type in town. And like this time when I watched it, I was like, oh, yeah, it is pretty obvious that that's what she's yeah. doing because she's like running off. And yeah, anyway, there is no Gold Dust Saloon in Las Vegas, although there is one in Pueblo, Colorado. Oh. It's probably meant to be a fictionalized version of the Golden Nugget, which is also pictured in the background of this film. It doesn't appear in like the B-roll in the background.
0: Yeah. Carol Hughes actually walks past it before she goes into the alley. Yes.
1: Yeah. So it is there. But the Golden Nugget was originally called the Golden Nugget Saloon when it opened in 1946. It was the first standalone structure that was built specifically to be a casino in Las Vegas. And it was built by a guy named Guy McAfee, who invented the Las Vegas Strip. So that guy is responsible for what Vegas is today. McAfee Hmm. was actually a corrupt Los Angeles cop who helped Surprise. run liquor during, you know, shocking that a cop in Los Angeles would be corrupt. I know it's well, also that Las
0: Vegas was founded by someone who was a corrupt Las Vegas cop.
1: Yeah, yeah no. Yeah, I actually just, I was <laughs> looking at Goldust Loon, I found out some information, I'm like, this is really fascinating. So anyway, yeah. he was a corrupt local cop who helped run liquor during Prohibition, and then he ran this illicit illegal casino on the Sunset Strip. Then in 1938, a new mayor was elected in Los Angeles and his platform was basically like, I'm going to get rid of gambling and prostitution and we're going to get, you know, clean up the city, that kind of stuff. So McAfee moved to Vegas where gambling was legal and he bought a club called paradise. And he named that area where paradise was the strip. And he started like investing in other buildings and, you know, trying to build up new casinos and clubs. And then in 1946, he opened the golden nugget on Fremont Street. This was his dream project, and it's you know, huge place, and it grew over the years and got this giant mm-hmm. gold marquee.
0: As pretty much has everywhere in Las Vegas. Like they all started in tiny places and now they're like giant. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. They've all grown up from little small casinos to like massive <laughs> giant buildings. The golden nugget is notably not on the Vegas strip, but it's in the Fremont Street area. And that area, like used to be, as we see in this movie, like the you know happening area Fremont street has been renovated and it's seen massive resurgence of popularity in the last two decades so people used to go to vegas and only go to the strip and now a lot of people make a special trip to go to Fremont street or stay on Fremont street i did that last time i was in vegas i was there with some friends for one of their 30th birthdays and so we just stayed i think we stayed at the golden nugget actually i don't remember for sure but we were definitely there so
0: yeah there are some stuff on the strip here we'll drive by some places i'll mention them i think it's interesting that he like started up the strip but then when he built his own casino he built it off the strip so yeah
1: isn't that interesting <laughs> yeah.
0: you'll also see in this when you watch it that like you will see places like all the places will see like it's not like they've relocated right like we're gonna see like caesar's palace and some other places and like they're still in the same spot but when you see them they're like little tiny buildings and then there'll be like a shell gas station next to them and Uh like just big open fields of like dirt where there's no development and you're like, Oh my God. Cause now like you just, it's just, like
1: the strip is like wall-to-wall building. casinos and yeah, high rises yeah. so with yeah. shopping centers in between so like you can literally just walk inside in some places and just yeah you and there. you can
0: actually go there's actually some of them where you can go from building to building without actually leaving and going outside uh-huh. like contained like air walkways and everything so
1: yeah they have like underground shopping centers and stuff yeah vegas yeah. is nice it's
0: crazy yep mm. So then Gail goes off to maybe be with her client and then Kolchek is there and we get his narration. In any town the size of Las Vegas, the murder of one young woman hardly causes a ripple. But then the ripple started. Thursday, May 20th, 7.02 a.m. A body is lying in some sand in a recessed area off the side of the highway. Police cars arrive, sirens blaring, and Kolchek isn't far behind. Irritated at Kolchak's arrival, the sheriff sarcastically asks, what took you so long, Kolchek?" And Kolchek says he got a flat tire. There are no footprints anywhere around the body. It's just in the middle of this big sandy area as if she fell from the sky. Kolchak is like, that's impossible. And Sheriff Butcher replies, if it happened, it's possible. So they all walk over to the body and one of the patrolmen turned the body over and Kolchek's like, look at her throat. And we see a huge bloodstain down her neck. Mm -hmm. Kolchak's voiceover tells us this is Bonnie Reynolds, 27, divorced cocktail waitress at the harem room casino. The patrolman notes that she lost a lot of blood, but none of it is there around the body, so none of it on the ground or anything. And then up above, there's some other deputies and, like, officers and stuff, and they find Reynolds' bag and signs of a struggle on the ridge surrounding the area. Kolchak looks up at them and looks back at her and is like, what do you do, throw her? Mm -hmm. so how did she get there because like there were no footprints and now the only footprints there are theirs Mm. yeah creepy so kolchek is trying to turn in his article evincenzo argues with him about it demanding to know who said bonnie reynolds was thrown 22 feet into that culvert the coroner who said reynolds death was connected to cheryl hughes murder the police and who said hughes died of a massive blood loss there's not even a report out yet Kolchak's articles addressed a super strong madman is running around Las Vegas. Vincenzo wants facts, not fairy tales. Mm-hmm. They argue, and Vincenzo accuses Kolchak of just wanting a big byline so he can get back to a major paper. He also tells him to leave the police alone, tells Kolchak to do his job and let the police do theirs. And then Kolchak, like, just kind of like bangs his head on the doorframe in frustration.
1: Mm-hmm. So.
0: And in this scene, he's wearing a light brown striped seersucker jacket with brown pants and a black knit tie. Okay. And then, Friday, May 21st, 8.06 a.m., apartment of Carol Hanacek, swing shift cocktail waitress in the Bird of Paradise show lounge. She'd gotten home around 2.15 a.m., poured herself a glass of milk, opened the back door of the kitchen for reasons unknown, and died like the others. suddenly quietly without disturbing her sleeping roommate only a few feet away. Something of a pattern had started to form and it was ugly. It was then that people stopped talking.
1: Yep. So we see police at the apartment of the now deceased Carol Hanacek and her body has teeth marks on the neck. <gasps> but none of the police or detectives will talk to Kolchek.
0: Whoa. And then much like the Gold Dust Saloon, I'm going to guess that the Bird of Paradise Show Lounge might be a stand-in for the Flamingo Las Vegas, or the Fabulous Flamingo, as it was called (laughs) at the time. It opened on December 26, 1946, hopping year in Las Vegas, as the Flamingo Hotel and Casino, four miles from downtown Las Vegas, on what was called the Strip. Hmm. Hmm. It was renamed the Fabulous Flamingo on March 1st, 1947, before being renamed the Flamingo Hilton Las Vegas in 1974, and then the Flamingo Las Vegas in 2000. The original Ocean's Eleven from 1960 and Viva Las Vegas 1964 were filmed there, and it is also where Hunter S. Thompson and Oscar Zeta Acosta stayed while attending the National Conference of District Attorneys on Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs held at the Dunes Hotel across the street. And several of their experiences in the room are depicted in Thompson's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, A Savage Journey to the Heart of the American Dream. Nice. And Tori will demand this, if I did not mention it, to say Uh that Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville is in Flamingo, Las Vegas.
1: Yep, and I have been there, which will surprise nobody, because if I'm in an area with the Margaritaville... I'm going to go to the Margaritaville, even though I don't drink anymore. I still love it. I still love the Jimmy I mean, Buffett. it's a restaurant. You can eat. Yeah, uh, I mean, they have good food. They have some good mocktails. And look, I love the Jimmy Buffett aesthetic. I love his music. I love that man. And so, yeah, I'm yeah. a big fan of I am probably the Jimmy opposite, Buffett. but
0: I know it's there because I walked by it many days because I used to work at the Flamingo for a short time when I first moved to Las Vegas I worked actually I was one of those people who would call you and tell you about all the deals we have at the hotel so (laughs) you could get free money to gamble with if you came and stayed and we had packages 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 so yeah I
1: think they still do that they have like all kinds of packages Well, I'm sure they they still do do that but I didn't do that I think I did that for like
0: three months and then I went to culinary school and then came back and worked at the Bellagio
1: nice nice so then we see Kolchak, and he's sitting with bernie jenkins aka bernie jenks he's an fbi agent and they're having drinks at a poolside bar bernie is surprised that kolchek knows about the blood loss in the victims kolchek suggests bernie check for other victims drained of blood around the country and look into mental institutions that have recently released patients who think they're count dracula Bernie tells him about an upcoming meeting with the coroner and two medical examiners flown in from Los Angeles to discuss the victims. Then he leaves following a waitress and an alert comes over the speaker that Kolchak has a phone call. It's John O'Brien, his doctor spy, and he's letting him know that a local hospital was robbed and all that was taken was blood, all the blood, every type. Ooh. Super weird. And then we see Kolchak driving his sweet blue Camaro convertible.
0: Yeah, it is a little rough looking, like there's like some rust and stuff, but it's still a sweet blue convertible Camaro. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I wanted a car just like that so badly. Oh, man,
1: (laughs) I wanted a Jeep, but that's because of Jurassic Park. (laughs)
0: I don't My know that I just... actually I don't know that I wanted one like this because of Kolchek because Booker had a similar car oh, Booker in the spinoff okay. of Twenty One Jump Street his was <laughs> black though but I always wanted one so yeah nice
1: and then at six thirty p.m. at the Clark County courthouse and there's that meeting and in attendance aside from Kolchek says myself and two incompetents who called themselves reporters there was Sheriff Warren Butcher Thomas Payne District Attorney. Captain Edward Masterson, Las Vegas PD, Bernie Jenkins, FBI, and Dr. Robert Mukherjee, boy coroner, who says the death of all three victims was very fast. It happened in less than a minute. He suggests that some kind of suction device was used to drain the victims of blood. (gasps) He also adds that the wounds are not unlike a dog bite. Which is a little and so there's a little discussion about dogs. He's like, "Well, I'm not saying it was a dog, I'm just saying it's not unlike a dog bite." And also, the wounds contain traces of human saliva.
0: <gasps> and then it's a commercial. <gasps> uh oh. Yeah. we come back from commercial and Kolchak asks if it's possible that someone bit the woman in the neck to drink their blood. And the sheriff tells him to shut up. <laughs> and then, and then Mukherjee kind of gives Kolchak this knowing look and says that there have been killers who believe they were vampires. The sheriff cuts him off. McCurjee suggests they should look for an anemic fellow with a rare blood disease. Captain Masterson says a nurse at the hospital that was robbed saw a tall, skinny guy near where they kept the blood and then realized he wasn't a real employee, and she gave a description. DA Payne ends the meeting, and he's, like, trying to dismiss Mukherjee, but he can't say he's like, but before being totally shut down, Mukherjee points out that Kolchek's theory isn't completely unwarranted. Mm. So as they're leaving, Payne tells Kolchek that he needs to keep this vampire stuff in the room and can't publish anything about the women being drained of blood. Bad for business. Mm. And then Payne suggests that maybe someone else from the paper should cover the story and tells culture to keep his nose clean because it's healthier that way.
1: Hmm.
0: And then Jenks promises to look at anything Carl sends his way, but asks him to keep his distance for a few days cause he's kind of hot right now. So <laughs> DA is totally a mob guy.
1: Come yeah. On, mob
0: guy. Yeah. And then Jeff Rice wrote McCurgie as a role for himself, apparently. Oh. He intended to play the character as an Indian, replete with skin tint and accent, which is probably one reason why he did not end up doing Ooh, I'm so. Ooh,
1: glad that that did not happen. So. Yeah, and we were
0: talking like as like a, I think he was going to play it as like a Hindu kind of. Right, yeah. So. With
1: the name yeah. Mukherjee, that's what I would guess. Yeah, but, yeah.
0: so that's why this totally white guy has a last name like Mukherjee, but yeah, that was apparently the intent. and so that's probably good they did not let him do that so yeah later Kolchek has apparently ignored Payne because of the newspaper office Vincenzo is freaking out about Kolchek's piece and now we have a dramatic reading (laughs) I will play the part of Kolchek and Tori will play the part of her spirit character Tony Vincenzo yes Did I say it was a vampire?
1: Well, what does your suggested headline say?
0: The story makes it clear.
1: Vampire killer in Las Vegas, question mark. Do
0: I misread? The story makes it clear.
1: Well, did I misread or did you use the word vampire?
0: Some screwball who imagined he's a vampire is loose in Las Vegas and people ought to be told.
1: If there's a screwball running loose in Las Vegas, his last name begins with a K. I've already heard about the little scene you had with the boys downtown. No vampire stories. Clear?
0: So Kolchak starts to leave, but then turns around the doorway and is like, how about a special featurette with a border of roses? An interview with the two girl victims in heaven with a celestial choir in the background. And then Vincenzo's about to get him and Kolchak's like, ouch! And then leaves. So (laughs) Yeah, I think this scene kind of gives a good vibe of them. We obviously did not act as well as Darren McGavin and Simon Oakley. Mm
1: -mm. But
0: yeah, there's another one later that I really wanted us to do, but it's long. And so we did not want to inflict that on you. So I thought this was a nice short one to do. So
1: It's a good illustration of their dynamic.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And in this scene, Kolchak is wearing a light blue suit, but not the light blue suit Mm -hmm. and a black knit tie so
1: almost
0: but not exactly nice
1: and then we're at gail foster's apartment question mark she seems to be living in this penthouse at one of the hotels mm-hmm. so not entirely sure what the situation is there but kolchek is sitting on the edge of the bed and gail has dozed off but then she wakes up and she's like oh sorry did i fall asleep yeah <laughs> he makes some comment about you know her falling asleep not being great for his Manliness or whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah, his self-esteem. Yeah.
1: And then he suggests that she stop working nights. But then the phone rings. And we learn that the killer has struck again. But this time there were witnesses.
0: Yep. And they were about to get amorous when the phone rang. So that was mm, man. Busted. Not that. great
1: timing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And Kolchek in this scene is wearing a gray suit with a black knit tie. So apparently he changed his clothes for he went and saw Gail.
1: Yeah. And then obviously Kolchak has left because we see him and he's driving and it's nighttime.
0: Yes. And I love the music in this movie so much. It's very 70s police show, like AKA the streets of San Francisco, which, funnily enough, started after the Night Stalker, though the same year, because the first episode of the streets of San Francisco was September 16th, 1972. And the final episode was June 9th, 1977. And I watched it. Every chance I got at 1 p.m. on channel 26 KMPH. So, nice. In reruns, obviously. So, right. Yeah. Then victim number four, Mary Brandon, showgirl, 25, 5 feet, 8 inches tall, 125 luscious pounds, less the weight of 12 pints of blood, of course.
1: Mm-hmm. So Kulchuk arrives at the crime scene with his tape recorder slung over his shoulder, and he's got his camera in hand. And as he's talking to one of the officers, he makes a joke about Bella Legosi, and one of the cops tells him to knock it off. The witness off to the side is the victim's mother. So we don't want her to overhear that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So he goes over there in time to hear Mrs. Brandon giving the cops the description of the car that the killer was driving. Good information to have. So then Kolchak brings a switchboard operator, Helen O'Brien, whom he calls a magnificent morsel, a box of chocolates to bribe her for info about the suspect's car. And so she agrees to keep an ear out. (laughs) And they have a cute little exchange where she's like, oh, the chocolates are too tempting. He's going to take them back. And she's like, no, she puts her hand down and keeps them because, you know.
0: Yeah, they also he also they conveniently put all these bows. It's a Whitman sampler. Uh-huh. chocolate like name brand but they put these little bows <laughs> across the names you can't see the name so but you can tell the box is like if you've ever gotten those you know what it
1: is yeah right?
0: which i think is probably the same thing they did with the casinos because they probably would need to get like at least like some write-off permission to use like a name brand and even like a casino and so that's why they probably with like the gold dust and that kind of thing. yeah even though we do totally. see them in the background but, like you can't fight that right that's nothing but
1: yeah, but to say like something was set at it, yeah. Yeah. Exactly, it's different. Or someone
0: who worked there was killed. Maybe, you know, I mean. Yeah. Some people can't tell TV from reality, so.
1: Uh, yeah, unfortunately. So then Jenkins appears, and he asks if Kolchak would like to see the killer's face, because they've made a sketch based off Mrs. Brandon's description.
0: oh Yeah. And here he's wearing a light brown striped seersucker jacket, we don't see his pants, but he's wearing a dark red or maroon knit tie. And also this light brown striped seersucker jacket. I think he is wearing a suit here. We're going to see it later. And then in another scene, I thought they messed up. But from a distance, because it's the really super thin stripes, it just looks tan. Up close, you can see that it's striped. Much like his light blue suits that he wears in Kolchak the Night Stalker. Uh. It's actually like a blue striped suit. Like, you know, really thin stripes, but it looks light blue from a distance. This one, there's going to be one, I think, where I say he's wearing a tan suit. And he's actually, I think, wearing the light brown striped suit. It's just we only see it from a distance. So.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah.
0: So then in a casino, we see a man pick up a newspaper with the headline, Fourth Slain. And there's a sketch of the suspect. And the man is dressed all in black. And we follow him from behind as he walks through the casino floor. Garnering lots of weirded out and disgusting looks from people he passes by, and then we cut to a woman walking across a parking lot to her car outside the Sahara and it's nighttime and we'll learn that she is Shelley Forbes, and we see a man with a pale face and dark bloodshot eyes is watching her from his car mm. and like his eyes and his face is kind of lit up by like the rear view mirror. It's like there's maybe some light behind him, and then it's like you know hitting the mirror and shining on his eyes. Very nice cinematography by the way. He gets out of the car and she glares at him. And then she opens the back door of her car to let a dog out. And it's a Doberman and it runs and then attacks him. But he kills the dog. Aww. And then he approaches the woman. And then it's commercial. Poor doggy. Yep. Yeah, I think he breaks his neck. Like it jumps on I him. Know. And then you just see like his hand, like he's got like his hand on the dog's muzzle. And then you like a little, and then the dog's not make it any more noise so i think he's like yeah
1: Hmm. yeah poor doggy.
0: yeah and it's the 70s so it's doberman
1: so yeah so we come back from commercial and vincenzo is not happy with kolchek's latest draft he thinks it's too sensational kolchek thinks that shelly forbes the missing woman is obviously another victim based on the way her dog was killed and vincenzo's like arguing with him and he talks about how like he is tired of the pressure to keep the story under wraps on one side and then he's getting pressure from Kolchek to print it on the other and so he's like trying to reason with Kolchek. he's like can't you understand this position that I'm in but Kolchek argues that there's a killer out there who thinks he's a vampire and he's killed four maybe five women it's news and they are a newspaper so they should print it but Vincenzo tells him he knows why they have to soft pedal this and all Kolchek wants is a big byline And so Kolchak yells that everyone cops, journalists they all know what's going on. The only people who don't know are the people. And Vincenzo says that's the point. (laughs) It's a good scene. It's a good argument. This
0: is the one that is longer and I would have loved for it. Yeah. It is rather long. But yeah. Yeah. And in this scene, he is wearing the light blue suit from before with black knit tie. So, but again, not the light blue. This one you do see up close. This one is not striped. It is like a solid light blue. So, Then, Tuesday, May 25th, 7.30 p.m. Helen O'Brien had told me that the DMV had come up with 16 possibles. All but one had been eliminated. The car's owner, Martin Lubin. Address on Spring Mountain Road. Name and address, both phony. Name of salesman who sold car, Fred Hurley. And Kolchak goes to the car lot and arrives as Sheriff Butcher is interviewing Fred Hurley. He is not happy about Kolchak showing up. Anyway, Fred Hurley is telling them that the man was creepy and insisted the price was too high. But he ended up selling the car anyhow. Something told him not to mess with the guy. He's enough to keep a guy from working nights. And Kolchak, he's trying to interrupt. And Butcher has to keep like, Kolchak, get mm-hmm. Like this is. And then. At one point, Coltec shows him the sketch and Hurley's like, yeah, I told him he looked like this guy, except he had a mustache.
1: Huh. Interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Fred Hurley, the cowboy used car salesman, his commercials would have been amazing.
1: So, oh, yeah. In the 70s?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's got like the fringe cowboy suit and like a big old turquoise like bow tie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That would have been fantastic.
1: So Kolchak rants to Gail about how he's waited his whole life for a story like this, but now that he has it, he can't get it printed. Gail suggests he relax so he doesn't get fired again. And we learn that he was fired twice in Washington, three times in New York, two times in Chicago, and three times in Boston. He tells her that she needs to quit her job because, you know, he doesn't want her working nights anymore and doesn't want her doing what she's doing (laughs) mostly because he you know just wants to be with her he likes her a lot and then he tells her that the suspect has killed five women that includes shelly forbes the missing woman no one will admit it but kolchek is sure she's one of his victims
0: yeah i also think gail being a sex worker kind of goes into like kolchek isn't like a private investigator or a cop or something. But, like, uh-huh. we have that, like, noir voiceover that he does. And so it kind of fits that same profile. Like, a lot of, like, you know, the noir detectives, like, they're always, mm-hmm. like, you know, they yeah, have the sex worker girlfriend or whatever.
1: Yeah. So, and he's not unsupportive of it. He's just, you know. No. Maybe you should give that up and we can get married and be together or whatever.
0: Yeah. Um, well, he doesn't, he doesn't mention marriage. yet. No. Yeah. But. Yet? Ooh, Tori, what are you saying?
1: <laughs> anyway. So then Gail asks what he knows about vampires and she produces a stack of books and drops a huge one in his lap Ooh. and Coltec laughs it off, but Gail's like, no, no, you need to read these books. And so she opens the one in his lap up and he's kind of, you know, joking around and she tells him to be serious. So he reads about how vampires are more vulnerable during the day and they can be killed with a stake through the heart. The book also says that vampire victims might also rise from the dead as vampires themselves and that vampires must have blood from any source available to survive. Whoa. This is where he learns a little bit about, you know, you can't really get to a vampire at night. They're too strong, but in the daytime, that might be good.
0: Yeah. Cause at first when she asked him, he's like, Oh, like they wear suits and talk with marbles in their mouths. Like talking about uh-huh. like, oh, Dracula kind of thing. So yeah. and then when he first opens the book, he's all like, ooh, oh, oh, Because there's like pictures and she's all knock it off. So, <laughs> yeah. And then heavy book in the lap predates the bowling ball gift in a Christmas story. I don't know if they're related, like in reverse, like, you know, if they put that scene in because of that or if it's just like classic. So my guy hitting the balls humor don't know, but I <laughs> I'm going to believe they're related so okay yeah yeah
1: I get that reference now yay
0: yeah you didn't get it before when we talked about
1: no that, the so. first time we did this I did not even know what that was so that's yeah. cool and I really love that it's Gail who's like let's look at the vampire lore <laughs> like she's just pulled all these books out she's like okay we know what's going on here and Kolchek is kind of like he's convinced that it's someone who thinks they're a vampire and is acting out these vampire murders and Gail's like I don't know maybe it's a real vampire let's check it out so I love that
0: it's not that he's unaware of vampires like sometimes in the x-files when people have like never even heard of like something before yes and Mulder has to explain it to them but yeah it's just he's like yeah that's fake though and i don't really care about it i've got other things to do i'm a reporter i deal with facts so
1: facts that no one will print (laughs) that's
0: right but hey they're still facts so
1: so then we cut to a hospital supply room and our possible vampire is raiding the blood fridge When a nurse walks in and sees him, but luckily she just like bolts, she runs to go get help, which is smart. And she brings back an orderly and the orderly confronts the man, but the man fights back and overpowers him. And then other men like run to try and stop him, but he just like flings them all off. Like they're nothing, Mm -hmm. just like fights them away. And then he even throws one man out the window. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, one-handed because he's
0: carrying a little, like, you know, bag of blood. So he's he doing all this fighting with one hand. So, yeah. Yep. chuck the dude out the window. We see the guy from the outside. Ah, He's in midair. Freeze frame. Commercial. Oh, no. Yep.
1: And then we come back from commercial and Kolchak hears about the hospital incident on the radio. So he goes to the scene. He arrives in time to see the suspect fighting with a group of police out front. And then the suspect runs and the cops fire shots at him, but he still gets away. And Kolchek is standing there taking pictures the whole time.
0: Yes. And here Kolchek is wearing a tan suit with the yellow mustard knit tie. And I think this might be the striped one because we only okay. see it from a distance. So, yeah. And it's Thursday, May 27th, 820 AM. And things were rolling. Our morning edition hit the streets. Recapping all the action at the hospital, the TV people, as usual, had missed out completely. And the radio stations were literally reading our copy on the air. But now the whole lid was really blown off. The maniac had been identified. Whoa. And we see him going to a courthouse. And here he's wearing the tan slash light brown striped seersucker suit and black knit tie. It looks tan as he goes in because it's all from distance. It looks tan when he enters the room that we're going to talk about here in a minute. But then later when he's sitting, it looks like it's striped. And so I doubt they like had him change clothes and brought all those people back in at some point. So I think it's just from a distance. It looks tan. Up close, it looks striped. So
1: that makes sense.
0: Yeah. So at the courthouse, the usual authorities are gathered and Bernie Jenks is given a report. He tells them the suspect's name is Yano Skorzeny. He was born in Romania in 1899. And everyone's like, whoa, because that would make him like over 70 years old. And Butcher's mm-hmm. like, you guys got the wrong man. And Bernie is like, hell no, we don't. These facts have been triple checked and confirmed. And Scorsani showed up in England during the German Blitz and passed himself off as a hematologist. He also installed large tubs and a meat freezer mm-hmm. in his work area. He dealt with people who had been recently killed. So mm. in 1948, he turned up in Canada using the same name. He tends to follow areas of violence and chaos, and his travels are always followed by strange killings with massive blood loss. Their reports show he left Canada on April 19th and came to Las Vegas. Kolchek gets up and says, I was at that hospital, and I saw a lot of things that can't be explained. The man was shot several times and could outrun a police car. He had a gash, but no blood dripping. And Kolchak insists that the man clearly thinks he's a vampire and that they need to proceed as if he actually was a vampire. And the DA shuts that down because he doesn't want to cause a public panic. The suspect is still considered to be an ordinary maniac. And Kolchak had better fall in line. You dig? (laughs) And then DA Payne turns to Masterson, who outlines the police plan. They have 650 men all leave has been canceled they're all working full-time shifts everyone is on overtime working 16 hours a day that's gonna be great for mm. working yeah that's and gonna keep everyone gonna real have,
1: vigilant and you know on top of and things worn
0: down and not and tired yeah. and not being able to do their job properly yeah and they're gonna have constant chopper patrols and they've got The CHP helping out and apparently the Jeep posse, I guess, because the desert and there's lots of like, they have Jeep posses. Okay. So, (laughs) yeah. So they've got a lockdown. They got roadblocks and everything. So, boom. Las Vegas is under martial law, apparently. (gasps) (gasps) Then in a casino, possibly the Gold Dust Saloon. Don't know. Kolchak gives one of his contacts, Mickey Crawford, a copy of the sketch of the suspect and tells him to show it to every real estate agent in town and find out if he bought a place recently. And then he finds Gail on the casino floor, and she's knitting, and he's got a cocktail, and Kolchak says that he has an unhappy feeling that this suspect may never be caught. He tells her this is the weirdest thing he's ever seen. And then she's like, so? And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. So he's still not on (laughs) board with the vampire thing?
1: No. Yeah. He, thinks, he still thinks it's a guy who thinks he's a vampire, but he is not willing to cross that line yet. Although, he did see a lot of weird stuff at that hospital. He did see a lot of weird
0: stuff that can't be explained away. Mm. Yep. Gail's just sitting there in her fancy cocktail dress, knitting, hanging out in the casino. Yep.
1: Maybe yeah,
0: between clients. Who knows what's going mm-hmm. on? So. Later, Kolchak is driving when he hears activity over the police scanner and makes an illegal U-turn in front of Caesar's palace to get to the action. Then he makes another move of violation, turns left in front of a bunch of people, and pulls off the strip and drives across an open stretch of dirt to get there right away. And he arrives just in time to see cop cars boxing in a station wagon. So the scanner says it's a green, unpaneled station wagon, but when we see it, it's actually blue. So anyway,
1: <laughs> the suspect,
0: Scorzani gets out of the car and he runs. The cops chase him and he fights back and then he hops a fence into a backyard and there's a swimming pool there and all the cops follow him and he hits several cops. He throws one into the water and then one like whoa, flying tackles and knocks him in the water. And then two other cops dive in and they're fighting him in the water. And then they finally drag him out and then they lay him on the ground. And then he gets up and he throws two of them back into the water and the cops are all boom, 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 boom. And they clearly hit him because he falls down. And when he turns, we see he's got a big old gash in his forehead. It's like got a blood kind of, but it's like it's not bleeding. Yeah. And then he gets up and he hops the fence and gets away. And they're like all, pow, 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 shotguns and everything. <laughs> so Kolchek is there, got all kinds of photos, but it's probably not gonna do him any good. They're not gonna let him print them, but he got them. So that's cool.
1: Yeah. He's trying. <laughs> and then it's Friday, May twenty eighth, three seventeen a.m.
0: Happy birthday to you. Thank Happy you. Happy birthday. It's Tori's negative 11th birthday. <laughs>
1: Yay. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Anyway, despite helicopters, mass coverage by every man on duty in the police, and the roadblocks, Scorzeni is still at large. We learn that two officers who fought him died later at the hospital, and one is still in critical condition. Ooh. So in the courthouse war room, D.A. Payne asks what they need to do. From the back of the room, we see Kolchak has apparently snuck in without being seen. And he's like, will you listen to me now? Butcher tells him to get out. But Payne points out that every man on the scene saw Skorzeny display incredible strength and still escape after being shot. Kolchak estimates he was shot 30 to 40 times. And some of those were with shotguns. Mm Mm-hmm. And he still managed to climb over a fence and get away. So, you know, something's up. Kolchak offers to help for exclusive story rights. And (laughs) they kind of negotiate. And then they're like, okay, what's your solution? And he pulls out the silver cross out of his bag. He says every officer should get one, along with a stake and hammer. The sheriff points out that staking a man through the heart is premeditated murder. Kolchak argues it's the only way to stop him. He also tells them that they can stop their night chases and that they need to corner him during the day. He says it looks as if they have a real live vampire on their hands, but, and the men are not amused, so they kind of walk away and go into the corner to kind of confer, you know, away from Kolchak. And D.A. Payne finally agrees to give Kolchak exclusive rights to the story, but Masterson says that Skorzeny needs to be a taken alive for the trial. Payne adds that if Kolchak is wrong, He'll need to leave town within 12 hours. But Kolchak agrees because he knows that he's right. Yeah.
0: And Master is all like, no, trial. Because Kolchak's like, trial. And he's like, yeah, trial. So, like, <laughs> it's nice to see cops not just wanting to like murder suspects. They're like, no, oh, we need to take him alive so he can be, you know, put on trial by his peers and convicted in a court of law. Yeah.
1: So Kolchak is like singing happily to himself and he gets into his car to track Skorzeny down. But then someone pops up from his backseat. He panics but we learn it's just Mickey. He was just waiting for Kolchak. He saw his car, got in to wait for him and then fell asleep. And then Kolchak started driving and he's like, hey wait. <laughs> he tells Kolchak that he thinks he found the house that Scorzeni bought.
0: This commercial yeah dramatic i think i found the house we come back from commercial we see Kolchak driving and he tells us that he told mickey to wait 30 minutes and then tell jenks where he'd gone he wanted to make sure the cops were away until after dawn if possible because he knew they would try and come in if they found out sooner and they would mess it all up. He'd mm-hmm. be there when it's dark cuz vampires are strong. Yes. So, in this scene, Kolchek is going to arrive at the house and they've got a blue night filter they're using to make mm-hmm. it nighttime. It is obviously not nighttime, it is daytime. Other scenes have been at night, you can tell they're at night. This one is not at night it was obviously shot during the day probably because he's like creeping around and trying to get in the house and they don't want to get hurt or something I don't know or maybe yeah. they shouldn't be filming like in a I don't know if this was a studio house or if this was a real house probably a studio house but we don't know and so you know maybe there have been may have been some like you know can't film at night kind of things don't know but it's daytime they're like hard shadows on the street from like trees and stuff they're definitely like from the sun so it's yeah
1: it's very obviously blue filter night. Even I clocked it the first time I watched it and I'm not great yep. at clocking those things. So yeah, it's pretty yeah. obvious. Corey
0: originally put the note in the summary. When I did. did. This last time. Yeah. So yeah. So anyway, Kolchek arrives at this creepy looking wood frame house and he parks down the street. He sneaks around the side of the house and manages to get a window open and climbs inside. House is dusty and full of cobwebs and like just trash everywhere yeah there's and just
1: stuff everywhere anyway we'll talk about that
0: cory has a thing about vampires in their houses so he finds a fridge full of bottled blood he takes a photo and then he's walking around he finds a bunch of suitcases some trunks and in the drawer of one of the trunks he finds wigs and fake mustaches and makeup and sunglasses he takes another photo and then he heads upstairs And again, the house is dirty, Cobwebs everywhere, trash is all littering the stairs. It's just messy, messy, messy. In the hall, he steps on some broken glass, which of course makes noise. He's like, he stops, but nothing happens. So he keeps on going up. He finds a room with a coffin in it. Mm -hmm. And he opens the coffin and there's dirt inside. So he takes a photo of that. And then he looks in one room and it's kind of empty. So he kind of goes, he goes to another room and inside he finds a woman tied Mm -hmm. to a bed. Whoa! It's Shelley Forbes. When they kidnap from the parking area, and she's got tape over her mouth, and she's super pale and gaunt and everything looking. She's got a big old wound on her neck, and there's an IV in her arm and a nearly empty bottle of blood attached to it. So, hmm. Kolchak starts to entire, but then he hears a car pull up. It's Korzeny. No. Oh. So Kolchak hears him come into the house, so he quickly tries to put things back where they belong, but the tape won't stick to her mouth. So he tells her not to move, because if she does, it's going to fall off. And then he ducks in a closet. So hopefully Shelly Forbes is a universal recipient and has AB positive blood, because Scorzeny is just, like, refilling her, so he can, like, drink the blood from her.
1: Yeah, so. that's kind of messed up. Like, I don't think I've seen that in a vampire story before, like, where... The vampire is getting blood from blood banks, but instead of drinking it, they're, like, putting it into a person and drinking from the person.
0: Oh, he likes to drink it from the body. So he's not one of these, like, let me swish it in a wine glass and give it up to body temperature. He's not one of them foo-foo vampires. He's like, nah, dude, I need a neck. Yeah, no, he wants it. He's sloppy, too. Them neck neck wounds are huge. They're like like two little bites. Yeah, it's very true. (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah, he's got, they got like some hickey marks and just all kinds of stuff going on. Big old, yeah. Apparently he doesn't get the veins in the same place every time. There's like multiple, yeah, it's all chewed up looking. Yeah. Anyway, Scorsetti comes in and at first he doesn't seem to notice anything awry. He changes the bottle on the IV because it was nearly empty and then he leaves. But as he's leaving, Forbes turns her head, and the tape falls off. Uh-oh. But apparently he didn't see that, cause, like his back was to her. And then he closes the door and he goes out and stands in the hall. So, Tori, he's in the hallway for a little bit and then he's going to go back in the room. Why do you think he went out in the hallway?
1: I don't know. It's kind of weird because, like, I'm trying to figure out. I think we're supposed to think that he does notice something's off and he's sort of pretending like he doesn't. So he goes back in the hall and he's waiting to see what happens, but I'm not sure.
0: Okay, I wasn't sure either because like that would be like maybe he like maybe he has like like vampires like smell or something and he, right he can smell Kulchak Kulchak or or, or something's going on. Also, like the way he stands there for a while, he kind of like closes his eyes and you can kind of see almost like his mouth is closed the whole time, but he kind of does that thing like maybe like where he's like rubbing his tongue against his teeth inside his mouth. Like, he's getting ready to, like, to savor something. Like, he's going to go in there and be like, mmm, I'm going to have me some neck. Mm. Like, he's getting ready to, like, <laughs> savor his meal or something. So I'm not sure. He could be doing both. I don't know. Right. But just, yeah, I'm not sure. Because he goes out onto the landing. He stands there for a little bit. Colchak comes out of the closet. But then he's, like, you know, getting ready. He's all, like, shh, like telling Shelly Forbes not to make any noise. And then the doorknob kind of jiggles. And so he ducks back in the closet. So he's in the closet and he's in there waiting. And then, boom, Scorsese opens the closet door and he's all, hey! and he's got his fangs out and his eyes are all red. Kolchak whips out a cross, boom. And Gorzetti's like, ah, hey! hey! puts his hand up. And then Kolchak uses the cross to back out of the room and then go out the door, still walking backwards. Scorsese mm-hmm. is like following him from a distance. But as he's backing away, Kolchak trips and falls. Whoa! And then when he gets up, Scorseni is gone. Weird. Ooh. So he starts to kind of leave, and then he sees Scorseni reappear. And he's, like, kind of making his way down the stairs and holding the cross up. And then he trips again and, then like, falls the rest of the way down the stairs. And he drops the cross. And Skorzeny jumps down from the landing in, like, the middle of the stairwell and then leaps from the middle of the stairs right on top of Kolchak. And they fight. Ah, Skorzeny is too strong, and he pins Kolchek, and is getting ready to chomp down when Bernie Jenkins busts in. And then he gets Scorzeni off of Kolchek, and then Kolchek fires some gunshots because Bernie dropped his gun, and he's all boom, 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 right into Scorzeni's chest. Doesn't do anything. And then they, like, tear a window covering off, and the sunlight comes streaming in because it's morning time now. And Scorzeni's like, ah, and he puts an arm (laughs) up, He backs away and then Kolchek uses the cross to herd him onto the stairs. But Scorzeni can't go up the stairs because there's a big old stained glass window at the top of the stairs and the sun's coming right. through that. So he's like pinned, and like Bernie like rips something else off a window. So there's all kinds of sun coming in. And Scorsani is on the stairs. And then Kolchek hands the cross to Bernie and then he pulls out the hammer and stake and he holds up the stake against Scorzeni's chest. And Skorzeny's like, like trying to hold it back, but he can't because he's all weak from the sun. And then Kolchak is like, chunk, chunk. And you hear, because the vampire's dying. And then the sheriff and the police arrive. Kolchak got his arm up in the air with a hammer, getting ready to strike again. And that uh, doesn't look good. No, it does not look good. Yeah. And the irony, Jano Scorzani, vampire, killed on your birthday, Tori. You, lover of vampires. And right here, Boom.
1: Worst birthday ever. Man. Yeah, that's definitely not the vampire experience I want on my birthday. (laughs) Thanks. If any vampires want to know, hit me up (laughs) on Twitter. (laughs) Anyway,
0: I'll hook you up with a. A cross and a stake and a mallet just
1: in case. <laughs> just, the in case just in case up. things don't work out well. All right. And there aren't too many friendly vampires anymore. Damn it. Anyway. So then we cut to this sunny room where Kolchak is typing away. And Gail asks if he thinks they'll print the story. And Kolchak says he knows they will. And Gail offers to drive him to the office, but he tells her he wants to finish the story in time for the special edition he tells her to stop working nights and he like oh not this again and then he's like and marry me and she's like marry you and then they you know they kiss and celebrate and they're you know she's all happy and you know yay i mean it wasn't a real proposal you know, get on that I mean, it trip. was well that's yeah. not that's that's
0: fake proposal stuff well, but anyway
1: me. they had the, the immature adult discussion about it i guess so then he pulls the pages off the typewriter and he heads for the door and he's like, you're going to love New York city. And they kiss and he leaves to go turn in his story.
0: Yay. And he's wearing a beige suit now with a mustard yellow knit tie.
1: Nice. So at the news office, Kolchak hands his story to Vincenzo and he's like, are you are going to put it in the special edition? And Vincenzo's like, yeah, with photos and everything, but he's, a little too agreeable like he's not pushing back or reading the story and he tells Kolchak that Jenks wants to see him over at the DA's office he should head over there and it's it's a little weird something seems to be up and as he goes Vincenzo's like Carl you're one hell of a reporter Uh uh-oh that's it not good giving him a, a high compliment So at the courthouse, Kolchak arrives and he's like whistling, but then he gets in the room and he sees D.A. Payne along with Sheriff Butcher and Jenkins, who's looking pretty rough. Butcher asks Kolchak his name and if he resides in Las Vegas. And he's like, yeah, you know, you know me, I'm Carl Kolchak. Yes, I reside in Las Vegas. Why are you asking me this? And they tell him that he's under arrest for murder. He laughs, but they don't laugh. They're serious. Butcher shows him the arrest warrant. Jenkins just looks sad. They tell him that they caught him pounding a stake through a man's heart after supposedly breaking up their stake out by going all Leroy Jenkins, no relation, and running in with a hammer and stake, raving about how the man was a vampire. Obviously, we know that's not how it happened, but that's Mm -hmm. their story. Payne tells him he can probably plead insanity, but then he'll be sent to an institution. So they read him the official story, which says that the cops shot Scorzeni while trying to arrest him. Then they tell Kolchak to get out of town and keep his mouth shut about the case, or they'll use the warrant and put him away forever. And an officer comes in, and they have Kolchak's typewriter and his suitcases, which is very weird that they just have that. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, okay, okay, but I need to call Gail. And he finds out that they asked her to leave town. She's an undesirable element. And She's already gone. Kolchak's like really defeated now, so he grabs his stuff to go. And Jenkins tells him there's nothing he can do and asks him to keep in touch.
0: Yep, local officials writing roughshod over the FBI. Like that's a flip of the script that we usually don't see. So they usually, see the way around. The feds are all like, you know, stepping on the toes of the local officials. So mm-hmm. it does reinforce that mob link a little bit. Yes. So totally. Yep. So then we see Kolchek and he's driving out of Las Vegas and we get his voiceover. So all the loose ends had been gathered together and tied into a pretty knot right around the neck of guess who. After I left town, I began putting notices in the personal columns of newspaper from San Francisco to St. Louis until I ran out of money, that is. So far I've received no answers. But I'll keep trying even though I don't think I'll ever find Gail Foster again. Maybe it's just as well. And then we're back where we started. In the small room, Kolchak is listening to his voice on the recorder. So that's it. The book is finished. And now you'll have to judge for yourself. I must warn you, however, if you try to verify this account, you will find it quite impossible. Item. In Washington, D.C., there was no longer a file listing the suspect under his true name or any of his alleged aliases item in Las Vegas. All those involved have either left town, aren't talking or dead. I haven't had a decent night's sleep since all this happened. And now you might find it difficult too, because there is still one fact that cannot be buried. After the death of Yano he. And all of his victims were immediately cremated. Why? Remember the legend? All those who die from the bite of a vampire will return as a vampire unless destroyed first. So think about it and try to tell yourself, wherever you may be, in the quiet of your home, in the safety of your bed, Try to tell yourself, it couldn't happen here. Kolchak turns off his cassette and looks at his manuscript. He laughs, and he throws it onto the table beside a pile of cassette tapes next to the player. And Then it's the end credits. Mm -hmm. We get no music during the end credits. It's all like the production stuff da-da-da-da-da, you know, who did this, the gaffer, the best boy, all that kind of business. It's TV movie credits, so they're not very long, but they're still, like, it's all that production stuff, right? And then we get music when we get to the acting credits, and everybody gets their own little scene, so, like, there's a little cut scene of, like, them with the music in the background, no dialogue, and it's all, like, Darren McGavin as Carl Kolchek, Carol Lindley as Gail Foster, Simon Oakland as Vincenzo, Ralph Meeker as Bernie Jenkins. Claude Akins as Sheriff Butcher. Charles McGraw as Chief Masterson. Kent Smith as D.A. Payne. Elijah Cook Jr. as Mickey Crawford. Stanley Adams as Fred Hurley. Larry Linville as McCurgie. Jordan Rhodes as Dr. O'Brien. And as Yano Scorzeni, Barry Atwater. Barry Atwater gets the final one and the longest one. He actually gets multiple cutscenes, So I'm like Mm -hmm. fighting orderlies and doing vampire stuff (laughs) and all kinds of things around
1: Vegas. (laughs) Yeah. And then we close
0: on his eyes with the light, which is directly homaged in season one, episode three squeeze from the X-Files. And we mentioned that when we talked about it, that's the episode where I didn't have my mic on. Oh, and uh, yeah. maybe we need to revisit that episode because that episode oh. sucked. It, sounded, it the episode didn't suck but it sounded awful oh my god it sounds awful because i did not i, I haven't
1: re-listened to it in forever so i
0: don't even remember if you want a sample of what that sounds like go to our case closed where we talk about how we're going to drop three episodes when we first start the podcast because then that one is recorded the same day and i also don't have my mic on oh man yeah i thought I, I thought i'd plugged it in i didn't and it was just recorded from the laptop mic we were so good at podcasting we were so so good good. we didn't know how to talk to each other didn't have scripts didn't just like we're going from memory a lot of the time it was horrible so yeah it was
1: a hot mess it was a hot mess mess. we've we've learned our lessons many times
0: Mm -hmm. yeah still learning still learning lifetime for sure
1: oh yeah yeah
0: yeah I'd have to wonder if Scorzani's FBI file disappeared, maybe it was turned into an X-File. Ooh, maybe. We should go yeah. through
1: those archives.
0: And this is something that we did a special episode after we did the Kolchak the Night Stalker series. We had a little Night Stalker versus Kolchak the Night Stalker, like a season wrap-up kind of thing. We talked about the movie versus the TV show. There was one thing I did not mention, and I was thinking about it here. We get, I think we mentioned it a little bit. I don't know at one point, I think when we talked about the first movie, you had mentioned like you had always thought like Check was the Night Stalker. You weren't sure mm-hmm. what the Night Stalker was. And obviously in the TV movies, the Night Stalker is not Check. The Night Stalker is the vampire. Because right. in the second movie, it's the Night Strangler. Uh-huh. And in the unmade third movie, that was titled The Night Killers. But then when we get the TV series... We go to Kolchek, the Night Stalker. Uh-huh. So now Kolchek is the Night Stalker, stalking the night, looking for monsters and stuff, and fighting them. So yes, yeah, we kind of kind of switch it. Interesting. I never, yeah, that I don't is think interesting. Really Talked about that very much. So
1: I don't think we have. That is an interesting switch because that's probably why I assumed that he was the Night Stalker, and I always pictured him as this guy, like in all black, like maybe black leather. Just I don't oh. know, with like night vision goggles. <laughs> like okay. i don't know when, whenever i thought of cold Check the night stalker that's what i just assumed it was and i was just like that doesn't sound interesting
0: at all i don't want to watch that okay
1: obviously i had not seen any stills or any photos or anything it sounds
0: like you're talking about stable is what you're talking about <laughs> i don't know, I don't I know no watch idea. that very short-lived tv series i don't think so
1: bit. but maybe i was like okay. mixing it up with something else it's entirely possible because i hadn't yeah. seen
0: it so okay hmm. all right
1: black leather i don't know i don't know it was the night stalker i didn't know (laughs) what to think jeez doesn't sound fun anyway (laughs) yeah
0: so we talked a little bit about how the book and the movie are different Mm -hmm. and then i also mentioned how like we made a point of like talking about colchick's clothes because the tv show he wears the same thing all the time right His like striped seersucker suit got a straw hat like a light very light bluish dress shirt black knit tie and then white tennis shoes, right? In this, he I think at one point he is wearing white tennis shoes, but then he, later he also, when, he, when we see him step on the glass, when he's in the house, he's actually wearing like white loafers. So mm-hmm. not necessarily tennis shoes. But in the book, Kolchak was actually based on someone that Jeff Rice knew from Las Vegas, who was a reporter, and then also kind of a little bit on Jeff Rice himself, kind of like a blend of the two people. He was a bigger dude. He was Romanian, which played, I guess, into some of this. In the book, he talks a lot about, like, he's full on board. He's telling stories about, like, his grandmother told him all these. Like, he knows all the vampire stuff because he heard the stories from his grandma. Okay. So it's all that different. He wears, like, Bermuda shorts and Hawaiian shirts and golf caps. Oh. Totally different. Okay. And then when they wrote the script, they still were, they, they were, they were kind of like Richard Matson kind of cut out the like, no, like he can't be on board. He needs to like be turned to realize it's a vampire. So they kind of wrote that kind of stuff. But like, he was still kind of like using like the same like body type and like dress style kind of thing. And then they got Darren McGavin and Darren McGavin is the one who basically made Kolchek Kolchek because he was talking about like when he would work in New York, he would always see the reporter during the summer and they would basically wear like seersucker suits and like the knit tie. That's what reporters wore. And so he brought all that to the character of how Kolchak should dress and how he should act. Because at least in the movies, we get the idea that hes he he always wants to go back to New York. And this one he wants to go back to New York. In The Night Strangler, he wants to go back to New York. So he was like from New York. We obviously find out he got fired a bunch of different other places, right? But he was like, he wants the big city. And so, whereas in the show, they don't really mention any of that. And it's kind of almost like he is like a Chicago native and has always been in Chicago. So, Mm -hmm. but so the dress is kind of happening here, but we don't get that stylized, like what most people think of as what Kolchak wears. Even me, who never really watched the TV show before, I was just the movie guy. I watched the two movies and that was it. I'd always kind of, we talked many times about how, like, at first, I never really wanted to watch the TV show. Like, I was like, mm-hmm, it's gonna be a good. I was so wrong. But even I thought of him in that outfit, even though he technically doesn't wear it in this movie. Yeah. Oh. So- it's it's that same style though but not the actual like the yeah thing so
1: it's funny how our images of things just get formed not necessarily even from stuff we've seen but just from like random images and pictures and i don't know it's just funny how that happens
0: yep but yeah that's the night stalker yeah 50th anniversary special i mean not exactly (laughs) because i mean when it was filmed in 1971 came in on January 11, 1972, so we're a little late, but, you know, it works out nice. This is also Darren McGavin Tyner's birthday, so.
1: Yeah, and it was fun to watch it again after having seen the TV series and stuff and having a better idea of, like, Vincenzo and Kolchak's dynamic, and I don't know. I mean, not that it's not illustrated well in this movie, but, like, you know, we know a lot more about how they interact, so it was kind of fun yeah, to see it. the dynamic
0: again. is definitely there. I did find it interesting, though, because in the series, and you had commented on this when we were talking about the show, that Vincenzo is always like dressed to the, he's got like the three piece suit, the nice vest, the jacket. Uh-huh. Here, I think it's because it's Las Vegas, right? It's fucking hot. Like he's always like just in like a polo shirt and like.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's Vegas. He doesn't, you know, he's not a reporter out on the beat. He gets the yeah. perk of being an editor.
0: He doesn't have that, that look that he has in the TV series. So still the same character though, but
1: yeah for sure yeah
0: and the dynamic is there that's the one thing that carries through the only thing that carries through really yeah the it's true to the tv series is that kolchek and vincenzo the only two characters that carry through and then just their dynamic is mm-hmm. is there so yep. still love it would still give it a 10 Although I was able to go back and find some little nitpicky things that I never really, you know, <laughs> you know, that fine tune of like, I've seen this enough times. I do this now. That's what I do. Right. I go through and I play script editor, like what's going on. And I was able to find a few things in this one that I've maybe never really paid attention to before, or just kind of like mentally hand waved away and didn't think about. So mm-hmm. yeah.
1: But yeah. It's still go. very good. still very entertaining. So. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So yeah, happy 50th anniversary, Cold check Happy Hunter's birthday, Darren McGavin. Sad you're not here, but also I'm yeah. kind of glad you're not here because <laughs> the world's a fucking mess. And it uh, is a
1: mess. It's just getting harder and harder and harder, and so things just aren't in a good place for a lot of people.
0: <laughs> yep. And you vote for people that tell you one thing, and then when they're in office. Mm, They don't do shit, and they kind of do the opposite sometimes. So
1: yeah, it's a frustrating system. It's not a great system.
0: Nope. But yay, Kolchak. But Kolchak's great. But it is
1: sad that he's not here and that Kolchak didn't get more, more movies and more episodes than it did because it was a really fun series and Mm
0: -hmm. it's been really
1: fun watching it for the first time for this podcast and just you know getting to enjoy like the characters and the stories and yeah, it's a shame we didn't get more of it.
0: Yep. But oh well. Also, going back to numbers, you and I have talked sometimes on the podcast and sometimes just behind the scenes about how there's a lot of weird coincidences that happen. Yeah. With things like just the, I mean, this one too. Like, is this a weird, like that? Because he was 49, obviously, when he shot the knife stalker and then, you know, turned 50 in May of 72. But uh-huh. it's just a weird coincidence, of like, His 100th birthday, the movie's 50th anniversary, when we are kind of doing things, things line up. And then also, this is completely unrelated to Coltick, the Night Stalker, but as I was writing my notes, what we are going to talk about right after this came out one day short of 25 years to the day that the Night Stalker came out. Oh, weird. Because we're going to be talking about something that debuted on January 10th of 1997 huh so one day short of being 25 years to the day so nice weird
1: yeah and this month is also my 40th birthday
0: so yeah whoa yeah and we started our podcast it was my 50th birthday
1: yay hey
0: (laughs) oh yeah
1: some big milestones this month in may of 2022 also
0: i'll mention this when we get to our season wrap up But we recently did the Musings of a Cigarette Smoking Man episode where we learned a possible birthday for the Cigarette Smoking Man. Oh, yeah. August 20th, 1940. We released the teaser for our podcast on August 20th of 2020, which would have been the 80th birthday of that character. Huh. Nice. I know that at the time. But I was like, no. hey, that date seems familiar. Back and checked. <laughs> That's when we released the trailer for the podcast.
1: Nice. Yep.
0: Some stuff. I mean, crazy.
1: connections are always there if you look for them, but I feel like we do get weird timing. Like we'll end up recording an episode about something that just super happens to be relevant on the day that we're recording it. Just stuff like that is really just happens all the time. So it's just weird. Yep. yep. Timing. Woo
0: cool all right well thanks for listening
1: we hope you enjoyed us revisiting this movie and hopefully this episode will be a lot better than the original one that we had on the feed i have not listened to it in a long time so i don't i don't remember yeah
0: i mean one we were learning things yeah And also we i think we talked about this in the cold wrap-up when we did the season the other thing too was like That was not this podcast. It was from my other podcast. So when I re-edited it, I actually had to cut some stuff out because it wouldn't make sense unless you were listening to the other podcast. Because, like, you were a co-host, and we talked about my other co-host, and just so I cut some stuff out to make it more. And so, yeah, yeah, some stuff got cut out, and just for flow, it sounds almost like I'm just like, okay, we're done, Tori, bye, and just, like, cut you off, and that not (laughs) happened because we kept talking about stuff like it. Got to find a cut spot. So,
1: yeah. 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 Well, here we go. Here's a new one. You're welcome.
0: Yay. <laughs> Maybe next year we'll redo the nice Strangler. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, we were better in that one, but still, that was pretty early on.
1: Maybe so. we'll redo Squeeze so you can have your mic on. <laughs>
0: Oh, I have told I think I've mentioned this. I have thought about just going through and trying to record my part of it <laughs> and then do that because we got the separate tracks. but yeah, I don't know if I could do that. That's just yeah too many timing my- things with that that would be a nightmare. Yeah. So, yeah. I feel so bad. I feel so bad for people who to start to listen to the podcast and have to listen to us be so bad at what we're doing. but
1: well, oh, that's well. I mean, I feel like that's true with most podcasts. Like I've said it before. And I will say it again, I generally, if I find a podcast like, I don't start with episode one, unless it is like a limited investigation series, right? Where it goes from like one to 10 and you have to listen to or- in order for some reason. But if it's like a podcast like this, talking about TV or whatever, like I will go back to the first episodes later after I have listen to the show and you know have established that like oh I really like these people talking about this tv show or talking about whatever it is they're talking about then I can go back to the earlier episodes and kind of see oh they kind of were fumbling through it because everyone when you start you don't know what the hell you're doing and even if you do have like experience in radio or recording or journalism which I know I think we both have some in those areas you just You have to figure out how your podcast works, and it just takes time to figure out, like you know, what your system is, how you do things, and it's always a process. So every podcast, I feel like, generally starts out a little bit rough, unless it's like a super polished NPR type thing, you know?
0: Yeah, with lots of front ending. Yeah, you know, is coming out and has yeah a built-in audience already. So yeah, yeah, I would be curious to find out what numbers are for podcasts because obviously. I, all podcasts have a drop off. They've got it because like you, 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 you know, you, you tuck in, you see if you like it. And if you don't like it, then you don't listen anymore. Right. I'm just curious. I'd be curious to see what percentage because I, I know what ours yeah. is. And so I'm like, no, you listen to the first episode. We weren't good. But, yeah. And it is funny to me because I know a lot of people
1: do go and they just start with episode 1, which makes sense. That makes sense. Go ahead and listen to episode 1. It's just funny cuz like for me, I'm always like I'm going to start with an episode I know or like I'm going to start with a new season of like if it's a reality show podcast or something. I'm going to start with the new season. Maybe I'll go back and listen to the old ones, but like, you know, it's <laughs>
0: never i will start with well, and one also. I keep saying <laughs> it's not good. At the time, it was good.
1: Yeah, we it was fine. It was how fine. To
0: do better.
1: It's just looking so, back now, it's like, you know, whenever you start making stuff, like I have stuff I wrote when I was in my 20s that I'm like if I find it in like a notebook or something I'm like, "Oh my gosh, this is so bad." But, you know, like at the time, I'm like this is so good. Like, you know, you're just you're doing your best at the time and learning as you go. And it doesn't mean it's yep. bad. It just means that there's a learning curve and you're going to get better the more you do. By the time we're on season 8 or 9 of the X-Files, we're going to be so good at this. It's going to be like you guys are going to be like, "Wow." These guys I are hope. so good at podcasts. Man, what if
0: we're not? What if we're just the same as we are now?
1: <laughs> I don't think that's
0: possible. Mm, I don't know. I might be the same. I, <laughs> I think I have I think well, I have a plateau that I might Well, I'll keep, we'll keep getting out. better. <laughs> I'll keep
1: improving and I'll Okay.
0: I'll, I'll bring oh, up right. the average. <laughs> so, thank you for growing with us as we
1: yeah, this journey and supporting us on whatever means you are supporting us we appreciate it whether you're just listening to the normal feed or you're supporting us on a premium feed we appreciate you being here yeah (laughs) all right Bye. bye i want to rewatch is hosted by tori and nick and recorded in collaboration with black cat and orange tuxedo studios
0: episode production design and editing is by Lazy End Productions our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz and the truth is what we make of it by The Agrarian
1: our premium feed is where you can find all of our X-Files adjacent bonus episodes covering television and films that are you guessed it X-Files adjacent if you like these bonus episodes tell a friend we'd love to have them join us
0: you a watch. Be sure to join us next time as we try and figure out if the, the truth, truth is still up. out there. The truth is what we make
1: of it.
0: that's got the wrong thing on there doesn't it it's okay i I never changed i never changed that good job i'm like that's that's not what it says but what you said sounds better oh yeah it's supposed to be that okay yeah
1: i got it i say it a lot i can figure it out